This is day 213 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be reading Romans chapters 11 through 16. We're going to go ahead and finish the book today. Lord God, as we enter into your presence this morning, please show us the truth that's in your word. There is so much wisdom in here, so much life, so much glory. Show us a glimpse of it today, Lord. I know that we can only scratch the surface on our own, but Lord, you are the teacher. This word is written by you, and you know what you want us to know in here. We know, Lord, that without this, we have no hope. And we thank you, Lord, for showing us your grace and your glory within your scripture. May we become more like Christ today. May this impact us in such a way that we would be made more holy and sanctified in your sight. Please bless the reading of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened, just as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not, and bend their backs forever. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles, to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy, my fellow countrymen, and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, 
do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, so that all of Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. But just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and unfathomable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, 
and all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. But of the same mind toward one another, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals. On his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone 
except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, 
you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, because, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will be abounding in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus 
to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, They who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Sencria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epinatus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding amongst the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, 
our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trypanea and Trephosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore I am rejoicing over you, and I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. And so do Lucius, and Jason, and Sosispiter, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you, and Quartus, the brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret from long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. Okay, we have finished the book of Romans. We are ready to go into more books and letters that Paul wrote. So let's finish up the book of Romans and move forward with confidence. Starting off in chapter 11, we have some interesting information about Paul that we don't see anywhere else. So he mentions that he is an Israelite, which we already knew, but that he is of the tribe of Benjamin. That's interesting. That's not mentioned anywhere else. But then he is pointing different parts of Scripture into the current topic at hand. And what he's talking about here is Israel's future, that there is a salvation waiting for Israel. But right now, Israel has partially rejected the offer. And he compares this to when Elijah went to Mount Sinai 
to speak with God after he had ran for 40 days and 40 nights on food and water that an angel made him. And when he went there, Elijah thought he was the only prophet left. But God showed him that that is not true, that there were 7,000 other people who did not bow the knee to Baal. And this goes to almost a fulfillment and completion of something we've seen throughout the entire Old Testament. The remnant. We're back to the remnant again. And so he shows us that there will always be a remnant according to God's gracious choice. And it has to be by grace. Otherwise, we would be able to take credit for it somehow in ourselves. But it is grace. It is a gift of God. So it's not anything we can do ourselves to be more righteous and holy than other people. It's God's desire for us to be this remnant. And so that is showing you that true Christians, and I'm talking about the ones that are genuinely saved, are going to be the vast minority across the world. If you haven't noticed that yet, that is the case, because most of the people in church today are not really saved. I would say less than 20% are actually saved, maybe closer to 10%. But if we've seen the theme of the Bible and how that has been a reoccurring point, this should not surprise us at this point. That means that we have a big job to do. We have a lot of gospel to be sharing with people, even within our own church. Next, Paul goes into more detail as to why Israel has rejected the things of God. They have rejected it so that the gospel can be spread to the Gentiles. If they accepted it with gladness, they would have just kept it to themselves, right? They would have continued to believe the exclusivity of what they believed, that their religion and their God was exclusive to Israel. But that's not the case, is it? Most likely, you who are listening are not Jewish. You are Gentiles. So in this way, Praise be to God that the Israelites did not take Jesus for who he was. Otherwise, we would not have had the gospel brought to us. So I'm so thankful for that. And that is partly why Israel has rejected it, because the Gentiles became grafted to the family of God. And that's the illustration that he makes here in the second half of chapter 11, comparing an olive tree, a cultivated olive tree, which is Israel, And you have wild olive branches that are being grafted to this tree, and that's us. The branches don't support the tree in keeping its life and sustaining its nutrition. It takes its power from the tree itself. So how arrogant we would be as branches, thinking that without us, the roots would not survive, when that's not the case. So God is at the root, and The root is Jesus Christ, and it is through him that we draw strength and righteousness. But the good thing is, is that the rejection of Israel is temporary, according to God. Paul is showing us here, beginning in verse 25, that he's going to be mentioning a mystery. So anytime Paul talks about a mystery, it's something that has never been fully understood in times past but has now been revealed to be what it truly is. The hardening of the heart of Israel is temporary, and it's only partial. 
because we see Jewish people get saved, right? So obviously, it's not a full rejection. It's a temporary one. But it seems to allude to the fact that when Jesus returns, that's when a lot of Jews are going to believe. And perhaps they will be the ones to play the role in the tribulation. It depends on how you believe that portion of Scripture. It's eschatology, so that's certainly something we can debate, but it doesn't change the narrative here. However, the full number of Gentiles will be saved. And after that, God will turn to the Jews again to save all of Israel when Jesus returns. And we see that in the scriptures as well, the 144,000. So there's something to be said about all this. But we just see how glorious God is in all this, right? That's why he just gets so overwhelmed when he thinks about all this in verse 33 through the end of the chapter. He's just so overwhelmed with how glorious God is and how he's made everything work so well. His plan has not failed, and his plan is the best possible plan. And he's just so thankful and so grateful for everything that God is doing. And then it takes us to a very heavy chapter. This is a very theological, very practical chapter. Verses 1 and 2 especially are pretty famous. Most Christians in church today know this scripture at one point or another, but it is definitely worth repeating. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, the word therefore being inserted to think about everything that we've talked about to this point. Read the entire Romans chapters 1 through 11, or they're all culminating to this point. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So what he's saying here is that we need to dedicate our lives to Jesus Christ. We need to sacrifice ourselves. We need to submit ourselves to the authority of Christ and put him first above us. This is a very important decision. And so in the same way that they would sacrifice animals in the Old Testament, we need to be the sacrifice moving forward. Now, to be clear, this is not an atoning sacrifice. There is nothing left to forgive because Jesus Christ has completed that work. But because we are slaves to Christ, therefore we need to serve our master. He has tasks for us to complete. He has chores for us to do, and he needs us to do them. We need to be good slaves. This is how we show our love for the Lord, by being obedient to his commandments. How do we maintain this posture of heart? Well, it's very important that we stay away from the things of this world. We do not be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And how do we renew our mind? That is to refresh ourselves, refresh our minds. We add good things to our minds, and we keep ourselves away from the junk of our minds. So instead of filling our head with earthly things that will benefit us nothing, we need to fill our heads with holy, righteous things. We need to Get away from profanity. 
We need to get away from things in life that distract us from God. In my case, video games. We need to stay away from sin as much as possible. We need to fill our head with the knowledge of Christ, which is through his word, and which is through the Bible, through doing good works, from being peaceful. All of these things will make you more like Christ. Because the Lord will renew your mind. He will transform your mind. And by doing so, then you will be able to see what the will of God is. And it tells you what God's will is for you. So if you ever ask yourself, I don't know what God wants from me. Well, he wants everything that is good and acceptable and perfect. So the continual change that is going on within That is how we show that we are being sanctified. We are changing, we are training in righteousness every day. Then he gives us how to conduct ourselves within the church, within the body of Christ. He gets straight to the point and says that we should not think very highly of ourselves. And I learned that in the business world, that phrase, everyone is replaceable. We are not so invaluable that God can't do it without us, or that the church can't survive without us. If we ever get to that point, then we need a big reality check, and we need to repent of our arrogance. Then he shows us that every member of the body of Christ is different. We are members, almost like body parts, if you will. Some people are eyes, some people are hands, some people are tongues, some people are feet. Some people are brains. You know, whatever the case may be, we all serve different functions. And so not everyone is going to be doing the exact same activities. We each have individual skills and personalities and talents that God has given us in order to be effective in whatever role he has for us. You won't know what role he has for you if you're not listening and you're not asking him what it is. And that's why we need to Surrender ourselves as a living sacrifice. Because he has a task for you, and he wants you to do it. But you need to ask him what it is. Have him reveal it to you. So whatever you're called to do, do it to the best of your ability, and it will serve you well, as well as it will glorify God. Then he talks about how to relate to other people. He is very clear in his expectations for us. Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't be hypocrites. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what God hates, love what God loves, right? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Communicate with each other. Be in community together. Then you feel some strong echoes from the Sermon on the Mount. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Love your enemies, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't think you're so above everyone else. And this is a big one for me especially. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Don't think you've got it all figured out. Don't think that you're just smart enough to solve all your problems. You won't. We do not take our own vengeance. We do not try to get revenge. And so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Don't be argumentative. Don't start conflict. 
Can you defend yourself? Yes. But do you start something? No. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's so easy to be overcome by evil because the world is so prevalent in its ways it does things as well as the nature that is within your flesh. There is that war that is constantly going on, like we talked about last time. So we need, need to constantly be subjecting our body to good things. It will make it much easier for ourselves. Chapter 13 begins a very interesting topic. Some of us may not agree with it, but this is what God said. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Hang on. So you're telling me every single person in any form of leadership has been established by God? Yeah, that's exactly what it's saying. Even the bad ones? Even the evil leaders? Yes. But God is good. Why does he allow evil people to lead? It has a purpose. Remember, he uses anything for his good. If your life was perfect, you would never need God. Or at least in your mind, you would never need God. But God purposely causes things to happen to point to himself for his glory. Because we need, as a people, to understand how much we need him. If we don't think we need God, then he won't be glorified. If we don't see God working, he won't be glorified, through us at least. We need to obey our leaders. If there is a conflict between what the Bible says and what the leader is doing, that should be a no-brainer, that we obviously do what the Bible says. But if they're telling us to pay taxes, they're telling us to do things that we may not like, but they're not in violation of God's word, well, then we have to do them. It's really that simple. Verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. We should not have any debt. This is not only a financial debt, but we should never owe anybody any favors either. God does not want his people to be in debt financially as well. We need to be responsible with our money and we're not to owe anybody anything. Now, I understand if you have things like a house payment or utilities that you have to pay every month, that's one thing. But if you have credit card debt, if you have student loans, you have car payments, things like that, and you're not spending your money wisely, God will not bless that. He wants us to not owe anybody anything. And that's not the only place we see this. This is throughout even a lot of places in the Proverbs, especially. Ultimately, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we do that, we have fulfilled the law. That is a clear evidence if we are doing the right thing. If we love our neighbor, we will do no wrong to anybody. You see the world doing the complete opposite thing. They feel there's some sort of injustice Therefore, they are oppressing people. They are identifying people and hating them. That is not the course of God. That is the course of the world. And he reminds us that we need to be aware that the time is coming, and it's coming quickly. The time that Jesus returns is nearer than it was than when we first started believing in Christ. 
Therefore, we have to make sure that we are doing everything we can to be in obedience to God's will. Then in chapter 14, he talks about how we need to support each other as Christians. And some people have their preferences, right? Some people are vegetarians, some people are not. Some people like this kind of thing, some people like this kind of thing. And we should not use that to drive a wedge between each other, nor should we be offensive in the matter we do it. We may not agree, like for example, I'm not a vegetarian. I love meat. I am a carnivore through and through. If I could eat just meat for the rest of my life, I would not be I would not be upset with that. But as it is, there are people who don't share that belief with me. There are some people that prefer to drink only liquids. Some people believe that being vegetarian is the best course of action. Some people think they're vegan. Some people think that meat is murder. Some people think that Drinking milk is bad for your body. Maybe their points are correct, maybe they're not. But either way, we can still be in community with each other without being offended by these little things. But the most unloving thing to do is to say, you know what, you're wrong. Meat is so good. You need to eat meat. If you don't eat meat, I'm not your friend anymore. If we, I mean, if we act like that, that's middle school stuff, right? We don't need to act like that. We got bigger things to worry about. Don't upset and offend people for things like food. It's not just food, but it's talking about anything that we have a difference of opinion on that's not opposing scripture in some way, then we don't need to let those differences in us drive us apart. The Holy Spirit within us is what brings us together. The word for fellowship in the Greek is koinonia, and koinonia literally means to have something in common. So even though we may not have anything else in common, we do have one thing in common as true believers. We have Jesus Christ, and that is what brings us together in community. We need to do that because, like it says in verse 19, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. We're not trying to tear each other down. We're trying to build each other up. If you were to summarize chapter 15, it would be this statement. Everything you do should imitate Christ. So, for example, it says that some people are going to be stronger of will, stronger of faith, stronger of constitution than others, and they need to help those that are weaker. And this can also be in when we succumb to temptation accountability partners. Those who are stronger need to help those that are weaker, and not just to please ourselves. Pleasure and comfort are big weaknesses in me, personally. I like to be entertained, I don't like to be bored, and I don't like to be uncomfortable. I know these are not good things to think, but those are my default sins. And that's what leads into worse things for me. And so this isn't about me, though. This is about other people, because I have Christ. I am secure in my salvation. At this point, I have nothing to lose. So I should be spending my time helping those who do not understand that or that need salvation. We need to help people out 
for their edification, and you'll get much joy out of that. Trust me. What's interesting as well is in verse 4, he says that everything written before in the Old Testament, especially, was written for our instruction. Those particular accounts were preserved for people like us, for those who need to read it and have hope, to understand who God is and how we cannot make the same mistakes as the people in the past. They were written for our instruction. That's why those selective events took place and they were recorded for us. Have you ever seen it like that? Because that's fascinating when you really think about it. Most of the second half of chapter 15 and almost all of chapter 16 goes into personal notes. And we see some interesting things in here, especially when it comes to Paul's intentions. It seems that at one point his main goal was to go all the way to Spain. He never made that journey from what we could tell. He made it to Rome, which is in Italy, right? But he didn't make it all the way to Spain. We do know that after the book of Acts, he was released and was a free man for a few more years, and he did some more traveling. But I don't think he made it all the way to Spain. It's possible, but the Bible doesn't really say. But then we know that he goes back to Rome, and that's when he's executed. But it was nice to see that it was his plan was to go all the way to Spain. Then he mentions many people that we don't really see anywhere else in the scriptures except for Priscilla and Aquila, which in this case it says Prisca, but it's Priscilla and Aquila. Different spelling, same person. In verse 17, he urges the people to watch out for false prophets, to watch out for false teachers and people who purposely go into churches in order to destroy them. Those people still exist. Satan likes to send spies into churches and try to disrupt things. We need to be conscious of that, and we need to rebuke it and remove them from our midst. Then it mentions in verse 22 that Tertius is the one who wrote the letter. He is Paul's scribe. He's a stenographer, if you will. So everything that you've been reading kind of sounds like a speech, because it is. Paul is dictating it, and Tertius is writing it down. And then he concludes his letter, and we are ready to go into the Corinthians. That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.